You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. Hey there, I'm Dan Savage, and you have successfully downloaded uh, podcast number 4612 in a series of the Savage Love Podcast, a weekly audio version of my sex advice column, Savage Love. The number here, if you want to call in with a question, 206-201-2720. Let's get to your fucking fucked up, freaky fucking calls. Hi, Dan. Um, You can call me Suzanne. I'm in San Francisco, 30-year-old straight woman, and... um, I'm bothered by the fact that I can't come without fantasizing that I'm being raped, uh, forced into sex. Um, I never have and never would want to share this with any of my partners, and I've been turned on by the fantasy since I was a kid. I remember masturbating when I was like six and imagining, imagining that I'd been kidnapped and raped. And I mean, nothing like this ever happened, and I was never molested or anything as a child, but it's still the big turn on. Anyway, um, I want to be able to enjoy having sex with my partner um, without having to imagine this. And whenever I've tried to just enjoy the reality of the sex I'm actually having, I just can't get off. Um, so I'd really appreciate your opinion about this, and I'm hoping you'll have some advice about how I can learn to come without the fantasy. All right, thanks. Bye. Hey, Suzanne. Uh, you have... My sympathy, and I feel like I shouldn't even put your call on the air because there's really nothing I can do to help you. If you've been fantasizing about this since you were six years old and you're 30 now, there's nothing I can say in a podcast that's going to free you from this sexual fantasy. That's just going to make it go the fuck away. Uh, You're stuck with it. So the question isn't how do I have it or why do I have it or how do I get rid of it? Uh, because that's not, there's no answer. There's no way to get rid of it. You can't reach into your brain and pull out all this hardwire. The question is, how do you deal with it? What do you do about it? And, and how do you understand it? Um, you don't say whether you're from a religious background and not everyone with rape fantasies or loss of control fantasies or freed from all responsibility for the sex acts that you're engaging in fantasies is from a religious background, but many people who have these fantasies are. And a lot of particularly young women will have these fantasies because You know, they've been taught that bad girls do and good girls don't, and they want to. So how do you process that when you're very young and you want to, but you know that bad girls don't or shouldn't? Well, you fantasize about scenarios where it happens and you don't want it to happen, or it happens whether or not you want it to happen. So you have fantasies about, you know, being swept off to a palace by some prince or being raped uh, or being kidnapped and molested when... You know, you're you're completely out of control when it's totally all uh, agency is removed and you're at somebody else's mercy. And that can be very powerful. Those fantasies can be very powerful. Um, And if you can come to an understanding about where your fantasies come from and what they mean, and you can fantasize about other ways in which you can lose control sexually or give up control sexually, you may be able to process your you know sexual desires in a way that maybe moves away from uh the violence uh that 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 obviously disturbs you that's a part of it you say that you want to be able to enjoy having sex with a partner and then you say you've never shared and never would share this fantasy with a partner there's a big disconnect there uh if you really want to be present with your sex partners in the sex acts and you know when you're having sex with them you do need to share this fantasy. 
uh, with them. You're kind of withholding this fantasy from them, you know, and you're withholding it because it disturbs you, and you're withholding it because you wish it wasn't so, but it is so. So you've never really been fully present with your sex partners because you know that they don't know what's actually going on in your head, which is a whole other script that has to play out for you to come. You need to find your way toward, or find your way to, or find your way, uh, or find a sex partner that you feel comfortable enough with sharing this fantasy. Someone who, you know, you're not, you're not writing that person a permission slip to break into your house in the middle of the night and rape you, and you can share with them that it makes you feel a little uncomfortable, and that you wish it weren't so, but there it is. And then find if there is some way for you with this person who then knows what's going on in your head to explore some other ways for you to do what sort of is informing this fantasy, which is you having a loss of control or you giving up control or ceding control and not being responsible for the sex that goes on and see if there's other ways to explore that. So, you know, giving that person carte blanche to do what he wants within certain limits, um, following his lead. If oh, there's a little like rough and tumble that people who don't have rape fantasies like rough and tumble and being held down and, uh, you know, some aggressive rolling around. If there's ways to incorporate that, that that will then pull you into the moment with your sex partner because it has a flavor of your loss of control slash rape fantasies without being a full blown rape scenario role play situation. It really is the only answer. I, I wish, you know, obviously the fantasy disturbs you. You wish it wasn't there. I wish there was a way I could say, oh, you know, here are the magic words. You repeat this three times in front of a mirror in a dark bathroom. You know, I believe in the ghost of Mary Ward. You just say that three times in a mirror in a dark bathroom and poof, it's gone. And that's just not the way it is. You got it. You got to live with it. You got to figure out how to incorporate it in a way that you can feel good about and healthy about into your sex life. Luckily for you, there are men who share your fantasy, who are straight, who have rape fantasies. Oh, and it's so much worse, you know. A woman who fantasizes about being raped, that's one thing. A man, a heterosexual man in particular, who has rape fantasies where he's the rapist. Oh, that's terrible, that's rotten, that's awful. True, I guess, uh, if he actually acts on them uh, with somebody who is not consenting and it's actually rape, then it's, you know, awful, terrible, bad, rotten, uh, and he should go to prison and have his balls cut off and all the rest. But, you know, people who have fantasies about being the aggressor in a, about rape, they're not fantasizing necessarily. They're, they have no desire, the vast and overwhelming majority of them, to actually rape somebody. They have a fantasy about living out the rape scenario, living out, uh, experiencing that in, in, in a fantasy realm, uh, just as you have in fantasies about experiencing it. But in a fantasy realm, you have no desire to actually be raped. So you should be able to understand that there are guys out there who have rapist fantasies who have no desire to actually be rapists and who may be every bit at some point in their lives, hopefully, every bit is disturbed by their fantasies as you've been by yours. And you can find a guy like that who's a decent, nice, good guy, just like you're a decent, nice, good woman who has this fantasy. And you, you would be each other's saving grace, each other's answer, uh, and, and terrifically well-suited sex partners. But only if you can bring yourself to a point where you accept this as just a fact about your sexual fantasy life and then find a healthy way to act on it and incorporate it into your sex life so that when you're having sex with a sex partner, you're fully present with him in the moment. Hi, Dan. My name is Amanda. Um, I've been dating this guy for about a month, and um, we have a little problem. He's really big. I mean, his cock's quite huge, and I have a really small mouth. 
So whenever I go down on him, I can only do it for a couple minutes before I get really sore. I try and push through the pain as much as I can, and I go for as long as I can. But I feel so bad because I really want to pleasure him, and I really like going down on him. So I was wondering if you could give me any tips for going down on him so it didn't hurt or ways to strengthen my jaw or just positions or whatever, any help. Give me tons of angry... uh letters and phone calls from women this week as I'm giving advice to one woman about, you know, go find the guy with the rape fantasies uh, that match yours. And now I'm going to give advice to you about how to uh, uh, suck cock because you really want to pleasure him. You know, we're sort of pro sex and pleasure. I, I hate blah, blah. Anyway, here you go. This is all you got to do. Uh, if his cock's too big in the length department, you need to make his cock shorter, which you can do just by wrapping one fist around the base. And if it's really that huge, two fists around the base. And then let him thrust through your fists and into your mouth. And then it won't go all the way down your throat because it won't reach that far unless he's just massive. In which case, you uh, might need a couple other friends to come by and give you a couple extra fists to work with. Um, the other thing you can do when, you're, when you, you, know, you have a small mouth and he's got a huge penis, but you know, the girth is enormous, is use your fists as if they were your mouth and not be self-conscious about it so much. If you get... If you use a lot of saliva, you get his dick really, really wet. You get your hands really, really wet. I guarantee you that he won't necessarily feel the difference if what's going over his the head of his dick for a minute is your incredibly wet and sloppy hands while your mouth is taking a little break on his nutsack or you know a little lower on his taint. And then you come back to the head of his dick with your mouth while keeping your uh, two fists wet and sloppy and moving up and down his shaft and over the head of his cock. If you're doing that, you should be able to mix it up enough that he can come. Uh, if you're worried about him, you know, being disappointed because it's not, you know, a contiguous blowjob. It doesn't start with him going in your mouth and staying in your mouth until he blows in your mouth 45 minutes later or six hours later or however long it takes. Uh, blindfold him and then he won't know. I guarantee that there will be moments when your hands are going over the head of his cock uh, versus your mouth going over the head of his cock, that he won't be able to tell the difference if you're using your hands uh, in, in this, with the same sort of tension of your mouth. You don't want to grip really tight because then you can tell the difference pretty easily between your hands and your mouth. If you grip relatively loosely and, again, you're using lots of saliva, he won't necessarily feel uh, too much the transition between your mouth and your hands, and he won't feel too particularly when it's just your hands versus just your mouth. So that is my blowjob advice. Hi, Dan. This is Mike in Kansas City calling about a question about uh, I've got a particular person in mind, but it's a general question, and it is about closeted, I guess you'd say permanently closeted homosexuals. Um, what is your What are your general thoughts about something like that? I mean, somebody that maybe had upbringing that was so strong that they just – and they're gay, but they just never even admitted it to themselves or suppressed it their whole lives. Um, actually, the guy I work for, I, I sometimes suspect he might be just because he does such overcompensating behaviors, and he uh, he can be a real cruel. And sometimes I just wonder if he's just not a tortured soul. Um, what are your thoughts about uh, you know what what kind of behavior might you see? What and also, what's your advice on? Um, how to deal with a suspicion like that. I guess, you know, I'm not going to act on it, but 
uh, just be curious to know what you think about that. Thanks. Bye. My general thoughts about that, well, the lifelong closet case, the guy who's never coming out, uh, it's a tragedy, really. Uh, and it's very, very sad. And, and you know, at, at, the, at the root of the problem is uh, something awful that was done to this gay person. Real emotional violence had to be done. Uh, real psychological violence had to be done to, to warp this person so that they would deny this essential truth about their, their sexuality and their personhood and shunt it off into a closet and lock it away forever and never, ever come out. Um, so that person's a victim of that often religious violence, emotional violence, psychological trauma. But, and this is a big but, at a certain point, you know, you have to acknowledge that you know, emotional violence is done. It's all very sad. It's very tragic. It's a sort of tragic figure. But nobody has to live their, their whole life in the closet. The whole world knows now. And if you live in the West, you're lucky enough to not be in Nigeria or Saudi Arabia or increasingly Poland, where gay people are viciously oppressed. You can be out. You don't have to choose to live a lie and live your life in the closet. You can walk away from your parents' idiot religion. You can heal yourself emotionally. You can stroll on out of the closet like millions of other gays and lesbians have already done. So, you know, at a certain point you go, oh, God, it's really sad. What happened to him? It's a tragedy. He's victimized. But there's a point at which the person who is victimized just starts victimizing themselves and becomes an object of pity and scorn and they're just pathetic guys grown-ups who are gay and closeted are just pathetic fucking losers they're ted haggards they're mark foley's who was sort of out but not out and so he got in all sorts of trouble and talking to kids it's just it's sad tragic pathetic unnecessary bullshit and what do you do about it when you're dealing with somebody who's deeply closeted well you recognize that it's not your fucking business you're not going to drag him out. You can't confront him about it. Also, you know, it could just be that your boss is an asshole. There are some people who are assholes who are just assholes because they're assholes. They're not assholes because they're deeply closeted gay men, really. I mean, what are you saying when you say, oh, my God, he's such an asshole. There must be something really wrong with him. Oh, he must be gay. He must be a closeted gay. That's why he's such an asshole. You know, there are actually heterosexual male assholes who uh, have all sorts of other issues that have nothing to do with a repressed desire to suck cock all, all, all day and night. Uh, and there are guys who are out and gay who suck cock all day and night and are assholes still. Uh, coming out doesn't necessarily heal uh, everything or fix everything that's wrong with a person. You can be an out gay asshole. A lot of people think I'm an out gay asshole. I certainly get that in the mail a lot. I'll probably get it about this response because I'm not, uh, in some people's estimations, appropriately sympathetic. Uh, when it comes to closet cases. I'm super sympathy. I'm Mr. fucking Captain America sympathy when the person is, say, under 20. Over 20, you're still a closet case. You're just a fucking loser, idiot, moron, pathetic piece of shit. And nobody should have to deal, deal with you until you get your fucking act together. There's a point at which you have to stand up on your hind legs and be the person that you are and stop listening to the Mormon church, the Catholic church, the Baptists, Whoever, your parents, your grandparents, Jesus in heaven looking down at you, like bullshit. You need to let all that go. Stop worrying about the person your parents fantasized about you being when you grow up and be the person that you are and deal with the hand that you're dealt. And if you're not willing to do that, fuck off. That's where I stop being Mr. Sympathy for the classic cases. After about 20, if you're not out, fuck you. Fuck off. 
Um, there's a lot of people who are gay and closeted who think that they're living out some huge, tragic, melodramatic soap opera in which they're the tragic hero of their little drama. And uh, to those guys that are listening, I say, you're not all that. Uh, you're just a pathetic bag of cowardly slop. Hey, Dan. Um, been listening to you for a while. Big fan. Uh, been married for about a year. And my problem is my wife does not accept uh, the fact that I like pornography. And it's been, uh, I've been looking at it, you know, since way before we were married. And I guess she didn't really know know about that before we got married. So a little bit my fault there. But anyways, I, in some ways, pretty much refuse to change, to stop looking at it, because I like it. You know, you put a snake in a cage, it's going to try to get out. So she doesn't understand it. I pretty much refuse to compromise or stop, stop looking at it. So just want to know if you had any advice. You put a snake in a cage and it fights to get out? What the fuck does that mean? Uh, you kind of lost me there. You also lost me with... Uh, and I quote, I refuse to compromise. Uh, then you should divorce now and get it the fuck over with because that's where you're headed. I am right there behind you. I might like to actually be right there behind you. You kind of sound kind of hot. When you say that, you know, you like it and it's part of your sexuality and it's always been a part of your sexuality and you want to continue having it be part of your sexuality and you shouldn't have to pretend that it's not and, and you shouldn't have to, you know, twist yourself into the pretzel that so many straight guys have to twist themselves into where they pretend that porn isn't something they're interested in or ever look at to protect their uh, the feelings of, uh, of their wives and girlfriends. I'm right there with you. However, you do have to compromise. Um, I'd be curious as to know what your porn consumption looks like. You know, there's some straight guys who leave porn lying around. If you're leaving it open on the computer, you know, are you rubbing her nose in it? If you're doing that, you're just an asshole. If you're like, I refuse to compromise, is about I should be able to get out of bed at 10 o'clock at night while she reads a book and walk to the computer in the living room and beat off and hurt her feelings, then you're just an asshole. Compromise means, you know what, sometimes I'm going to look at porn, honey, but I'll make sure that, you know, I don't rub your nose in it, I won't do it in front of you. You're like, if you turn a blind eye, you'll never even know I do it because you'll be discreet about it. That's the sort of compromise that a married couple... Uh, that has any interest in actually remaining a married couple for you know six months into the future can, can can actually you know work out that can work out but you just being a dick about it which it kind of sounds like maybe you're being just cut to the chase get the divorce now because that's where you're headed if you're being a dick about this then I assume you might be being a dick about a lot of other things too and maybe you're just not suited for each other and now you'll know before you get married the next time that that's something you need to throw out there to your next prospective spouse that, Hey, you know, I really dig porn and uh, I don't intend to ever give it up. There's some women who'd say, Hey, I really dig porn too. And we'll watch it together. And I don't intend to ever give it up either. And that's the kind of woman you might want to go find. She's harder to find than the women who don't like porn. The women who don't like porn are everywhere. The women who do like porn are in demand and harder and rarer, rarer birds, but you can find one. If it's that important to you, it really behooves you to go find that woman. But you didn't find that woman, you didn't tell her in advance. And now, if you are a snake in a cage who is refusing to compromise, you need to get the fuck out, you need to end it now, or you need to fucking compromise. You know, if your marriage means something to you, if this woman means something to you, you do need to compromise. And the compromise is, you won't rub her nose in it, that's your concession, 
her concession, she'll turn a blind eye, and she won't actively snoop. And then you can pre- she can pretend that you don't look at porn, and you can pretend you're married to somebody who doesn't care that you look at porn. You're both meeting each other halfway in Deceitville, and only in Deceitville do long-term relationships survive. And full disclosureville, everybody gets divorced. My boyfriend and I don't have enough sex. Uh, our relationship is extremely good in just about every other respect. Uh, we have addressed it. We have communicated with each other. Um, and I am open to some more drastic solutions, which I'm not sure if he is. One problem is that uh, he has uh, hep C, and our sex life went way nosedive down once he got that, I think because he's very concerned about me contracting it, even though it's pretty much relegated to intravenous drug use. We have most of our sex with third parties there, which I'm fine with because we're, we don't force it, and the sex is also with each other, not just the third parties. Um, I think that we probably, uh, I, I think a good idea would be to bring in a third person in on a more or less official basis, uh, but I really don't think he would be up for that. We tend to have family friends now, but even that's not I just need more of it. I need more sex, Dan. What can you do to help me? Well, here I am, and let's talk about it. So, you said you're not having enough sex. Obviously, you're a little tense about it. With my boyfriend. I have plenty of sex. Right, okay, you're not having sex with your boyfriend. You sound a little tense about it. And I think it. half of my sex should at least have my boyfriend involved. Well, applying arbitrary numbers and percentiles and percentages to things like that cannot, can be unhelpful. Uh, you know, you do need to meet him halfway. You say you've addressed it. You say you're communicating. Yes. Right? Yes. And yet he's got some weird hang-up. And most of your sex with your boyfriend is when there's a third party present? Yes. Is he that into you? Oh, yeah. Well, I've, I've actually asked myself that question. I have, a, I have a, a theory that for him to get sexually aroused, there needs to be a level of naughtiness. I think mentally he needs to go somewhere that he might not be all that comfortable with on a, in an intimate, personal, one-on-one thing. I think that sexually he might not want to show me what turns him on sexually in that way right now. Um, so by spicing things up, having a third party in the room, for example, uh, allows it to not be so intimate and be more playful. Right. So it's some but, sort but of. But I have read the book that you're referring to, or at least the book with the same title. <laughs> and I, that 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 actually inspired a, a great deal of anxious communication in our relationship because I, I it, it's a great line. It is a great line, but it sounds like it's not true. It sounds like he's into you. It's just that for him in to... In third-person sex, it's not me and him having sex with that other person. We're all having sex with each other, not having it forced. Right. It's very, very comfortable. So it sounds like for him to get into the swing of things, there needs to be a degree of novelty that only the of, presence uh, of another person provides. A degree of casualness, not the you know soft focus, Vaseline on the lens. I think that might be one of the big things. Okay, so it works when there's a third person present that is more rough and tumble and and skankier. If the essential ingredient that the presence of a third person provides is a degree of skank and naughtiness that makes it rawer and rougher, 
then you need to find a way to introduce that degree of skankiness and rawness into just your one-on-ones. Okay. Which means probably not a bedroom, probably not an apartment, probably not at home. Ooh. Like, you need to de-domesticize your just-you-and-him sex life. This is actually good advice. That's why they pay me the big fucking bucks. <laughs> to do a free podcast. They pay me shitloads of money. Um, so that's all you need to do. You just need to, like, you know, and if you're doing it other places, like if you meet up with him, say, I don't know what city you live in. I don't know if you want to say. Minneapolis. Okay, there's sex clubs in Minneapolis. Like, there's no, no law. No, there's not. Well, there's not? There's not a bathhouse? There's not a bathhouse in the Twin Cities. There's one in Duluth, about eight hours north. Oh, well, then drive to Duluth. The salvaging your sex life is worth an eight-hour drive. Or fly to Chicago. Chicago's good. You know, if you know, there's no law that says that boyfriends can't go to a bathhouse or sex club and just do each other. Not at all. Not at all. And then the degree of skankiness and rawness that will give it that necessary appeal for him is other people observing and the possibility that somebody else might join in. There actually are private you know, basement parties here. Well, go, go, fucking go. So that, and that's his hep C is like not an issue because, yeah, you do basically need to do uh, IV drugs to, to, to walk a doodle the HP, uh, the hep C around and just don't do IV drugs. And since you said uh, in your call originally that you're HIV positive. Yeah, both of us. That you both are? Well, of course, then, yeah. if you mess around with other people, you need to take all uh, right. responsible precautions. You either self-screen uh, self, uh, for other HIV-positive people that are, you know, aware, or, of course, use all appropriate protections. Okay, well, problem solved. Go fuck outside in the woods. Well, we're going to leave it there. This has been another edition of the Savage Love Podcast that you've come to know and love. If you'd like to record a question for a future podcast, the number to dial, 206-201-2720. Once again, 206-201-2720. You can download the Savage Love Podcast every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. I blog all the time at thestranger.com slash blog. And you, of course, should keep reading my sex advice column, Savage Love, by me, Dan Savage, in fine alternative weekly publications all over the world. World, 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 world. And the Savage Love Podcast is brought to you every week by a feral pack of tech-savvy, at-risk youth. And we'll be back at you with another podcast next week.